Hello and welcome to another episode of R3 Cents, a podcast celebrating the very finest video games. My name is Jonathan Dunn and I'm joined, as always, by two friends. A childhood one, Cristal. An absolute yobbo. And an adulthood one, Minty Booth. I'll be in charge of that. And we're discussing our all-time top 100 video games. This week we have our number 74. But before we do that, it is time to dive back into the Quislantic Ocean. I don't want to lose anymore. You're level, so one of you's going to come out of this losing. I want to come out of it winning. Well, you know what you need to do then, don't you? Answer the question correctly, which I warn you is what I will be doing. Oh, God, you have to. Which company released Space Invaders in Japan? That is correct. Wow. That is correct. (laughs) Correct. Christelle, well done. You have taken the lead once again. Thank goodness It is for now 13-12. It's only because he's older than me. <laughs> it is true. So, what have we been playing this week? I'll tell you what I've been playing this week. Great. Go on, then. I decided that I needed to get in shape and lose a bit of weight, and so I decided to buy Fitness Boxing on oh. the Switch, which is a fitness game designed around the sport of... You guessed it. Box making. Lovely. It's, uh, <laughs> it's good. It's good. It gives you a heck of a workout. Is it actually like a, a proper sweat-inducing game? It really is, yeah. It's it's not like a boxing game. Yeah. It's a proper boxer-sized class, and it you can program exactly the sort of workout you're trying to do and put in your personal goals and all of that sort of stuff. And yeah, it's it's really, really good. And really what good. is the story mode like? At the moment, it's about a sad man who is very fat. <laughs> 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 is, uh, is this character named in, in the game? <laughs> no. But apparently at the end of it, he gets married. So um, oh. hopefully it has a happy ending. We'll see. Hmm. I don't know whether or not it'll be a fat man getting married or a, a, a fit-toned Danishman getting married, but either way, his wife-to-be has said that she'll love him anyway. So Very low stakes then, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. No peril. No peril. Yeah, no. <laughs> no peril. It is a, it's a good game, though. It's Yeah, it's, it's good fun to play. The Joy-Con are really nice and responsive. One of the most satisfying things is... You have to do like a daily, well, you don't have to do a daily exercise, but you can do a daily exercise. And then when you finish it, you have to like punch the card or the calendar card to say that like you've done it. And you do that by throwing a punch. And cool. my God, it's satisfying. Oh, it's, I bet. Yeah, it's really great. good. Minty, what have you been playing this week? I was about six minutes late to recording today because I've been playing Pikuniku. Oh, hello. This is a game where you play as a little red fella who's basically just, uh, I think he's. He's just round with legs. His legs are very long, though. Like Mr. Tall. Exactly like Mr. Tall, but more um, more of an oval than a circle. Red, not blue. No shoes. But you can get things like hats. They help you do things because you might come up against somebody who needs you to draw a picture. So you'd pop on the pencil hat and then you'd draw a picture. Or you would need to look like a flower. So you'd put on the flower hat and you'd look like a flower. It's a fun, quirky little puzzle platformer. And I don't think I've completed it, although I have seen the end credits. Chris, what have you been playing this week? I have been playing a game called Crystal Crisis on the Switch, 
which is a sort of versus block-based puzzle game, a bit like uh, Super Street Fighter, uh, Super Street Puzzle Turbo Fighter, whatever. I can't remember what it's called. The one where you're the little mini Street Fighter characters and you drop blocks and then they fight in the background. It's, it's very much styled after that, whatever that game's called. Super Puzzle Fighter, I think, maybe. Huh. But this came out on the Switch just recently from uh, Nicholas or, or Nicholas. I'm not sure how you pronounce the name, but the publishers who do um, Bonnie Wysock and Cave Story, etc. And it features characters from across their roster. So you, you can play as Isaac and you can play as quote from Cave Story and some other people as well. And it's, it's a lot of fun. There we are. So moving on to the rankings. Starting this week, we have Chris's game. Chris, can you please tell us what your 74th favourite video game of all time is? Remember back to the halcyon days of 2009, when an enterprising developer, who unfortunately I, I daren't name now for their more recently revealed questionable views, would have looked at a pile of Lego, or maybe some Technics, or Stickle Bricks, and thought, what if we made this into like a digital game, where you could put stuff together and make stuff? And my game is not Minecraft, which is what I'm alluding to, but it wouldn't have existed without Minecraft. Like, Minecraft would have been instrumental in this game coming to bear, essentially. I think it's interesting that Minecraft started a trend of crafting games. It was probably partly responsible for the amount of kind of survival games we had going forwards around that period, or just general kind of exploratory games as well, or, or kind of like legitimately endless games that, that kids got quite obsessed with. Yeah. And there's no way really to look at it now, obviously being 10 years on, that we can ignore like the scope of it or its influence or, or really its quality. Like it is, it's a genuinely good game. Minecraft, as I said, is not on the list. But what is on the list is this game that came out a couple of years after Minecraft's vanilla release, like at the start. And it grabbed and engaged me far more than Minecraft has ever managed to do over the years. And that is the fantastic Terraria. It's a lovely... 2D take on the Minecraft formula. And it's as brazen as Salt and Sanctuary was to Dark Souls in kind of its lineage and inspiration. Like it's it's never really hidden how much it's it's trying to copy that in kind of a slightly different format. And I, I can't reasonably explain why Minecraft is so hard for me to get into. Yet when I got Terraria for the first time on the PC, I played it for 50, 60 hours. It's another game I've I've owned for multiple platforms. And I've, I've just recently sold on my PS4 copy because the Switch release is imminent, I think, like within the next month or two. Uh, and I've not really dipped into it for quite a while. So I'm looking forward to seeing how much has sort of been updated and patched because it's very much a game that has evolved over time, especially in comparison to, to when I was playing it, like the, the original release on the PC. Sure. For those that have never played it, you essentially you collect materials like you would in Minecraft. You craft things, you fight things, you spelunk you, you know, you, you dig down into the earth and, and make these kind of little pathways and, and chasms into the ground. And the world itself feels really, really massive. But for some reason, it being 2D and it, it being, I don't know, flatter, I guess, it just feels more conquerable than Minecraft ever has. Yeah. And there's something something about it, I, I, you get a sense of place that I've always found it easier to navigate, even when I've kind of moved a long way away from like your starting position. It feels like there are you know, there's an edge or all the signposts and things that will stand up and kind of show me where I've gone and where I've been. And on the PC, at least, Minecraft is genuinely infinite. Like if you play the, the PC version, there is no end. You know, you, you can walk and it will continue to, to generate land forever. And I think that almost instills something like, not agoraphobia, but that idea that just it's such an expanse. It's like there's a bit too much. 
Yeah, I know what you mean. Whereas Terraria, it does have edges. Like it's a it's a huge map, but it has edges, and I think there's a comfort to that. There's you know there's an actual limit to how far down you can dig. There's an actual limit to how far left or right you can go from wherever you start. Uh, and equally, there's a, there's a limit if you want to build upwards as well. Like you know, it's it's not an infinite canvas in that sense. And I I think there's something just really addictive about the simple act of digging down into the ground crafting and kind of setting little torches to light your way stumbling upon like a network of tunnels that has enemies or treasure chests or little gems or, or whatever i don't know it's just something that i found really really therapeutic to play it, it's something that i really enjoyed just spending a few hours with every evening for for a good few weeks when i first started playing it and i mean in the same way that you know in minecraft tradition it, the game has a really lovely ambient electronic soundtrack mm. and i think again it's it's something that just I think it's difficult in games sometimes when you're playing a game that you will spend a lot of time with potentially to make a soundtrack which can sort of sit underneath what you're doing and and not be intrusive to the point where you know you're you're singing along all the time but be something that's still pleasant enough that will will complement the experience and be something that's that's fun and nice to to spend time with so it becomes a game that's calming it's relaxing it's it's quite a chilled way to spend your time and even though it's it's something that with any of these sort of games, you could ostensibly say is a waste of time because there's no real end goal. It never really feels like a waste of time because it's just a nice way to spend your time in the same way I've mentioned like with some of the mobile stuff I've, I've brought up in the past. Yeah. It's a game where there's, there's definitely things to aim for in terms of like rare monsters or kind of boss creatures that will turn up under certain conditions or you might aim to kind of craft certain items or, or customization stuff like suits of armor or cosmetic things like that. But it's never felt like that is the be all and end all of, of spending time with it. And it was one that after, like I said, like the, the time I spent on the PC, I didn't feel like it was a game that I hadn't finished. Even though, you know, it could have gone on forever, essentially. It was a game that I, I found that time was just really, really nice and valuable. And I, I think it'd be really nice to have it on the Switch again, having not played it for quite a few years, to just dig back in and say, okay, I'll just, you know, I'll just spend a few hours here and there. And it'd be something that I can just get a little bit absorbed in again because minecraft like i said is something i've always wanted to be able to do that in and never enjoyed enough never got into or, or never kind of clicked with yeah and for some reason terraria just works really nicely for me and that is why it's the 74th game on my list thank you very much chris for terraria terraria moving on next we have my game Mm. I think that Chris, I don't think you'll be annoyed that it's this far down, but I think oh. it's a game that will be on your list higher up. Oh, you're making me feel anxious already. <laughs> mm. Shall I just tell you what the game is? <laughs> Otherwise, you'll have me here just like visibly, well, not visibly, audibly vibrating with uh, anxiety. It's Sonic 3. Oh. <laughs> oh! I think the reason why it's not higher in my list is probably down to the fact that I came to the game very very late so i think I've, I've mentioned before that i i never had a mega drive i had a master system and then i had a sega saturn so i totally missed the 16-bit era so my proper first experience with sonic games came actually in the form of the collection that was released for the saturn which we've mentioned before which is called sonic, sonic jam. jam before that the only sonic game i'd actually played was the master system version of the original game which I mean, to my infant eyes, it was exactly the same game as was on the Mega Drive. <laughs> and I mean, to be fair, it did do a pretty decent job of like recreating some of the classic stages and environments and the general sort of feel of the game. But obviously it was 
it was nothing compared to to the actual game and i have tried to i've tried to play it since and it was okay as like an aside i, th- I think the master system sonic games i feel far closer to mario games when when they're kind of a bit more deliberate and slower pace and it's about yeah simple platforming and exploration more than it is about speed. well it had to be yeah absolutely yeah but it had to be I, I think they kind of merged the, the two you know what were the the pillars of, of that genre at the time quite well given the limitations i'd obviously seen sonic games being played and sonic was obviously a huge kind of icon just in you know popular culture as well as obviously in video games but because i wasn't that i didn't have a mega drive the sort of the new release of a new sonic game didn't mean anything to me because i was never really aware of it so sonic jam is kind of how i've always kind of thought of sonic which is all these these four games that existed and have always existed and you know at the same time so when i got sonic jam i don't think i probably played i think i played sonic 3 first and so all of the additional elements that are in were in the game by that point i was just like oh yeah this is just what's in a sonic game and so because I didn't get to really experience the Sonic games growing up, I think the impact of Sonic 3 was definitely lessened because I'd already got used to a lot more technically capable, visually impressive games on the Saturn, including yeah. a bunch of 2D and 3D platformers. So when I booted up Sonic 3 and, and played that on Sonic Jam and I was playing it and the first level, Angel Island suddenly transformed into a spectacle that was reminiscent of apocalypse now i was i was fairly unimpressed because i was like oh yeah cool there we go looking back at it now if if i'd have if i'd have experienced that moment on a mega drive yeah i would have been utterly blown away so many elements of the game it is staggering at how much they were able to achieve on the mega drive like i totally didn't didn't have any perspective on that at all that particular scene with the fire in that first stage i remember playing it at a friend's house at primary school before i even owned a mega drive i still had my master system and in comparison like like you say knowing what 8-bit sonic looked like it was like you say it blew my mind yeah <laughs> like the, the whole transition from from looking one way to then looking another way it's utterly extraordinary like there, yeah there, there felt like there was real danger to it i mean not only were the graphics obviously absolutely stunning and riddled with just beautiful environmental detail like the world really did feel alive there was so much going on so many little things just there but also like the, the actual design of the levels were also brilliant as well because mm. even though like when you look at the first two sonic games and you look at how they'd kind of experimented with obviously having various different routes through a single level when you compare that to say a zone like marble garden in sonic 3 yeah. i'd never had a time playing through that and i must have played through the game you know a couple dozen times i never had a time when i knew where i was going <laughs> um, absolutely no clue at all and i was still discovering other bits and so it meant that when you did discover actual secret areas in the game like the the big ring special stages yeah it really felt like a, a massive discovery and was like really exciting because it was yeah there was just these worlds were huge talking about those special stages they were brilliant i <laughs> good absolutely love them and i must say i was thrilled when i discovered that the connectivity between sonic and knuckles and sonic one uh, led you to an entire game just filled with hundreds of these stages i mean they were incredible for those who haven't experienced them it's entirely different to any other 
special stage that you would have seen in a Sonic game before. You basically are on a globe and the floor of which is checkerboarded, as you would expect from a Sonic game. And you run in four sort of main different directions. And across this globe, there are smaller globes on the surface. There are blue globes, there are red globes, there are bumper globes, and there are rings to collect. And the idea of them is you need to collect all of the blue globes without hitting a red globe. Once you hit a blue globe, it turns into a red globe. So you need to sort of plan your route quite carefully, react quite quickly. The stage speeds up as you go along. They get a lot of stick these days as well for some reason. Like when, Do they? Yeah, when, when they were included in uh, Sonic Mania as, as kind of the extra emblem stages, I, I was yeah. absolutely made up. You know, play, playing throughout for the first time, every time was exciting for me. Uh, and yet the whole of the internet was like, oh, these f***ing blue spheres! And, and yeah, people, <laughs> people really hated it. I mean, even though obviously like the 3D was incredibly basic, it moved perfectly smoothly, mm. despite, the, like I said, the speed just ramping up and up and up and up and up. It was quite terrifying in mm. many ways like uh, the faster you were going you're like oh my god like the closer you got to the end like there was a, a, a real physical sort of anxiety that sort of rose up and i I, th- I mean i can understand why people wouldn't like it because i'm i have a long sort of held belief that actually the levels were the interpretive vision of one of the developers dreams about purgatory <laughs> oh <laughs> But aside from that, it's also home to my favourite music track from Sonic 3. Is that your favourite one in the special stage? Yeah, from Sonic 3. I mean, let's talk about the music. Because Please. the soundtrack is obviously obviously one of the worst soundtracks Jonathan. that's ever... No, okay. <laughs> <laughs> this is This was me like already picking up my keys to drive to Wales. <laughs> the soundtrack is obviously one of the all-time best soundtracks in any game it's it's incredible again it's, it's something that i totally took for granted because i was starting to hear semi-orchestrated yeah, stuff coming out of games absolutely. on the saturn and, and stuff like that but then when you when you actually sort of listen back to it on just a pure musicality level it's it, it's amazing it's absolutely amazing like the amount of different themes that are in there that are i mean just wonderful and one of the things I really, really loved was is the fact that you would get essentially a variation on the theme for the second act. Mm, it wouldn't yeah. be a totally different piece of music. It wouldn't be the same piece of music again, but it'd be a variation so that it had a markedly different feel, but using obviously all of the same melodies or a lot of the same melodies that you had in the first act. And that's just that's something that I can only appreciate, obviously, as an adult looking back. Yeah. To be fair, like this is this is credit to the fact that we stuck these lists and said this is it, they're not moving. But there's been this case with a few different games where I've researched them and thought, oh, actually, this probably should be higher, or all oh, this actually should maybe be a bit lower. I think this is one of the games where I was like, oh god, this is this this really is a masterpiece. But <laughs> it is where it is. Coming back to what I said at the start, there was so much, so many mechanics in the game as well that were obviously new on top of what they'd been in Sonic 1 and Sonic 2. Uh, stuff like grabbing and climbing and abseiling and, like I said, just movements that I assumed were just part of all Sonic games because I, I didn't know any better. Yeah. And my favourite addition were the different shields, the different like elemental shields that yeah. you got in the game. Obviously, the lightning shield was the best one. Like, not only did it, it would magnetically attract rings to you, which was wonderful, 
especially if you were going really, really fast, would like zip past a load of rings. The shield would pull all the rings to you, but you were going so fast that, you know, you, it looked like you left them behind. And then like, once you'd sort of slow down, like this like mountain of rings, like this, this like rush of w- rings would appear behind you and sort of catch up with you. And that was amazing programming. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but also the lightning shield allowed you to double jump in the air. And as Minty mentioned the other day... Is there any mechanic more ubiquitous in video games than the double jump? Whenever there's a double jump, it, I don't know, everything feels much happier. I don't know what I don't know what it is. Everything feels a bit more manageable. So the lightning shield had it in that. So if you could get a lightning shield, for me, I, you wanted it. Because there was also the fire shield. And I must say, I was terrified of the destructive capabilities of the flame shield. It moved far too fast and with too much power for my little hands to fathom the responsibility to wield. I, no, I, I, cannot, I cannot control this element. This is not for me. But there was also the really fun water shield where you're in a bubble and you could bounce with it. And it made a lovely sound. Probably something like that. Like Ooh. a bubble would make. I like and that. it allowed you to breathe continually underwater, which is obviously wonderful. A real boon. Because that was also terrifying. <laughs> yeah. A huge boon. This isn't gonna make you feel any any less angry, Chris, but I think I was always gonna be less impressed with the original Sonic games because of how late I came to them. Yes. And like I said, I'll never be able to fully comprehend what a kind of a technical and artistic achievement certainly Sonic 3 was because I've always had it. It's always it's always existed as far as I've been concerned. Unfortunately for me, I've never been able to look forward to and be satisfied, certainly not impressed by a new Sonic game ever and that's 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 upsetting but i think i mean it's, it's hard to, i don't really want to say this is a criticism because i don't think it is but the biggest problem i've i've had with sonic games is that they moved too fast to enjoy a kind of tactical platforming approach yes, yeah. and you mentioned this earlier obviously that it's kind of the whole point and it's why mario games existed as their own thing for people who wanted to play platforming games you know more strategically and that is something that obviously sonic can't match but the thing that Mario absolutely cannot match is the experience of set pieces and to be totally overwhelmed by like these incredible zones and genuine, genuine cinematic moments. Mm. And Sonic three is utterly phenomenal from that point of view. It's, and it will rightly place higher up on, well, on your (laughs) list. Uh, And I'm sure, and a lot of other people's lists than it does on mine. Yeah. But yeah, I hope that doesn't sort of detract from (laughs) sort of just how much I do love the game and absolutely love the game. But there's loads of games that aren't in my top hundred because I've never played them. And it's, it's like that with this. I am gutted that I didn't get to live through 16 bit gaming with this sort of modern appreciation of games that I have now, but there's nothing I can do about it. So <laughs> I'm not going to say much on this because as you have rightly assumed, this, this is quite high on my list. But hearing you talk about it, even as someone, like you say, who has this slightly lower down because of their own personal experience with it. I've, I've been sat here grinning for the whole like 15 minutes you've described it. Good. And it's a game for me that is is so, so joyful. And as I mentioned, you know, I, I started playing this one in dribs and drabs when I was probably eight or nine at a friend's house. And it, it has honestly lived with me up until now when I'm 32. It's one I go back to all the time. And it's, it's, it's fantastic. So moving on, finally, we have Minty. Can you please tell us what your 74th favourite video game of all time is, please? I never had pets growing up. 
Outside of a fish tank we had in the bathroom and a stick insect every now and then, and a little enclosure I made for a worm and a woodlouse when I was five. <laughs> what were their names? I don't think they had names. Oh. So I think the moral of that story is I did have pets, but they weren't very good. <laughs> <laughs> when we got a PC, the first thing I did was MS Paint a cat and a dog. Lovely. I'm so unsurprised. <laughs> a little while later, we got the uh, the PC games Cats and Dogs, which aren't on this list because... They weren't good? Well, they weren't on a list good, you know? <laughs> I, I enjoyed them for a while, but then I used to sort of try and speed run the game to see I'd adopt 10 cats or 10 dogs and see how quickly I could get them all to run away. <laughs> Oh, minty. So that happened. And then obviously I did what anybody would do in that situation as a natural um, progression. I would MS paint three more animals, like a, a monkey looking thing, a big gruff lizard and some kind of thing with an egg shaped head. And that allowed the prophecy to uh, be fulfilled because for my birthday that year, I got Creatures 2. Ah, excellent, Ooh. yes. I was 10 when I got this, so I was a real dumb shit when it came to uh, teaching and training the Norns. Can I just pause you there? <laughs> yeah. You, you got that for your birthday? Yeah. Now, I don't want to destroy any childhood memories, but I got that free with a newspaper. <laughs> <laughs> I actually remember, I think you bought me the same paper. Yeah, I think I did, so you could have it. Yeah, I, yeah. I have, a, I have oh. definitely a memory, yeah. Oh, no. I remember your cursor could turn into a hand and you could push them. So I did that to uh, to push them around the map and get all the, the science stuff and all the upgrades and that. And didn't really make any meaningful progress in the game at all in terms of like an end goal. But the journey was nice and the friends I made along the way were endearing. <laughs> I really liked just uh, plugging in and dicking around in a fun little alien world for a while. It was, uh, it was, it was sort of mysterious and interesting and... I now realise I liked it because you couldn't really lose at it. You just sort of progress at an incredibly slow pace or just let things run by themselves. goes back to what I was saying in an earlier episode. Um, I don't need a high-stakes thrill ride every time I switch on the console. Sometimes just a gentle escape into a lush, strange landscape. So all you need, letting your lovely little creatures drown or get ravaged by bees. <laughs> So anyway, in conclusion, it's probably for the best that I didn't have pets growing up because I couldn't... You would have pushed them around. Push them around into some into a pond or poke a wasp's nest until it dropped and attacked everything in sight. It's been a while since we've had an episode with such disparate choices. Yeah. And, and I think creatures or pets or, or any of those games like the Cats and Dogs series and stuff like that, they, they had a very specific place in a lot of people's personal histories with games. Because I had lots of these. Like they, they don't feature on this list, but I definitely played almost this entire series growing up. And they, they have a weird, like you say, like a, a voyeuristic value almost, that you're just watching what these things do. Yeah. yeah. And, and how much you interact is actually quite limited. But there's a lot more games now in, in kind of that we have anything represented in different genres, essentially now across different, different platforms, that there are games which do just this essentially now that, that do the same stuff as those kind of virtual pet things but are so far divorced from the idea that we grew up with like tamagoshis and stuff like that yeah because of how games are these days we, we have elements that that hark back to this type of thing but I, I do wonder how many kind of developers and and players would have grown up with this stuff like we all have and it's just like a little nugget in the back of your head that that has definitely found its way into other games in in a weird way uh, over time so there we have it 
a disparate group of games. We had, firstly... Terraria. And then we had Sonic 3, before finally... Life Forms Second. <laughs> if you've enjoyed this episode, or if indeed you've enjoyed any of our episodes, please do like and subscribe, leave us a review, share it with your friends. If you want to reach out to us, you can do that. You can find us on Facebook if you search for Our Three Cents, or you can reach out to us individually. You can find me on Twitter at Jonathan Dunn. You can find me at Chaz underscore Hodges. I'm at Minty Booth. And please do join us next week for our number 73. Ooh.